Another great episode of Mystery of Parenthood coming up. If you like what you hear, go to redsearadio.org, click on the donate button, and become a monthly sustaining member. Please support us. Thank you, and God bless. All right. You know what that means. That means you're listening to the Mystery of Parenthood. And um, before we get started, we'll begin with our prayers. We always do. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord God, from you, every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. Father, you are love and life. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, born of woman, and through the Holy Spirit, the fountain of divine charity, grant that every family on earth may become for each successive generation a true shrine of life and love. Grant that your grace may guide the thoughts and actions of husbands and wives for the good of their families and of all the families in the world. Grant that the young may find in the family solid support for their human dignity and for their growth in truth and love. Grant that love, strengthened by the grace of the sacrament of marriage, may prove mightier than all the weaknesses and trials through which our families sometimes pass. Through the intercession of the Holy Family of Nazareth, grant that the Church may fruitfully carry out her worldwide mission in the family and through the family. We ask this of you, who is life, truth, and love with the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy Family of Nazareth, pray for us. Uh, St. John Paul II, pray for us. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, we're fast approaching the uh, Christmas now, so we're only... Goodness. Uh, the nativity of our Lord awaits. The, it's coming. And um, so exciting. Come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Um, yeah. And, and um, I think that, again, as we ended last time regarding the um, regarding marital um, relations, specific sexuality, and um, I think it's important to remember the, what we were talking about with regard to the way that the church looks at the human person as as a body and it um that's the way we were created to be and um especially as I don't even know if we brought this up but but Mary who's a creature right um shows us what separate from sin <laughs> we're meant for me she was we believe as part of our faith that she was assumed body and soul into heaven um that she that Jesus came and brought her to heaven in in her entirety, and um, and that that kind of shows us what the end we're called to is this um, unity of of body and soul. Um, that that's what it means to be a human. And so, at the second coming, that's going to happen. But we're talking about the fact that they we take seriously as Christians, as Catholics, we take seriously this unity of body and soul, and that that has a special place in the sacrament of holy matrimony. Um, and we we're talking about the fact that there was, there's a unity side and then there's a procreative side and that those are meant to go together. Love, uh, this communion of persons, this um, one flesh union that, that, that occurs uh, in a, in the sacrament of marriage. Um, that unity is meant to be linked with the, with life, um, that, that it's meant to be open to a concrete manifestation of that love between a husband and a wife. And that anything that kind of separates those, that's, I think that's where we kind of, we left with this idea of, you know, if we, if we work with the way God makes the body, particularly the, the cycle of a woman, um, that, and we work within the confines of that, that we're ministers of this, um, procreation, as opposed to if we do something to separate love and life, um, contraception, anything along those lines that would that would um, stop that uh, unity of love and life, that that we become arbiters. We we kind of take God's place in that, and that's why the church is so adamant about what marriage is. And again, remember this is in the section on on that that they're where the church is a um, 
ser- it's meant to serve life. And the first part of that is it's meant to transmit life. That's the first part of it. And then the second part is education. So we'll finish up um, hopefully those two uh, today. Uh, if that sounds good to use, Thaddeus. I think it's a fine plan. All right. Let's, so, now, lots of plans, uh, the plans of what, mice and men? Right, of mice yeah. and men, exactly. We'll, we'll see if we can actually accomplish that plan. <laughs> Tell me about the rabbits. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Anybody out there know what I just said. Um, but anyway, um, I, I think where we were was talking about how the church is meant it, it stands for life, and it's part of that. It's meant to be, um, it's meant to teach couples the magnitude of what they're what they're in. And so, um, in this in this um, marriage bond, that's meant to be inseparable. This inseparable connection between life and love. And so, anyway, we'll carry on from there, from past the. Uh, the arbiters, and I think just he he calls this is back in the early eighties, and he calls for theological reflection um and it's called for further study on the difference, both anthropological and the study of just being human and moral between contraception and recourse to the rhythm cycle which we we talked about and um and so I think that. The point he's getting to here, it says the choice of the natural rhythms involves accepting the cycle of the person, that is the woman, uh, thereby accepting, and this is important, dialogue, reciprocal respect, shared responsibility, and self-control. Um, all of those kind of speak into the, to the uh, dignity of people and the fact that, that it's two people working together <laughs> to transmit human life. Um, and so this idea of dialogue, I mean, I know, you know, the few times when, you know, we, we were told we would never, we were told we might never have kids. Um, and so. Wow. I, I didn't six, know that. Six or kids later. That. And, and, uh, and so, um, you know, it's, it's one of those, it's one of those things where we had, we had our first, which was such a blessing and uh, they've all been blessings, but when we had our first, when we went back to the doctor, the doctor was like, "Hey, I don't. We don't give. We don't start working again um, on another pregnancy because oftentimes what happens is, is once the body figures out how to do it, it resolves itself. Never needs any any help. And with regard to help, I mean, we were, all we did was become aware of what was going on and um, and and did things to help her with with the production of with eggs and the release of those eggs. Um, so there was nothing, um, outside of what, outside of what we would do, uh, what, what it would be okay from a scientific standpoint. But what he said was, look, sometimes I'm not going to talk to you for a year until you try. So we had become very aware of how things, you know, body, her, her body worked and what was going on. And so Madison, our second was one where we, it was kind of cool because that's part of the, you know, this cooperation, this dialogue, Hey, we want another child and to be aware of how her body works. And, and, and that was really neat because we cooperated, we dialogued, um, we talked about that and, um, and made the decision. And, and as he suggested within, I think it was the first time that we were actively saying, we're open for, and we want to cooperate with God that we were fully aware of, of what we were doing. And, um, and Madison is the result of that, which is, Mm -hmm. which is really cool. The flip side of that is Grayson who's number three. We had reached a point after Madison where we were having trouble getting pregnant with a third one and was, had gone long enough to where we were talking with the doc, the doctor about that. Okay. And that, it was literally um, a blessing that was a surprise. It was the first one. So we were so on board with with Trevor. I mean, we kind of – that was what, what was happening. So when it happened, it was a surprise, but it was a one that we were working towards. The second one, we were very cooperative. The th- number three was completely a surprise from the standpoint we, we thought we weren't going to be able to get pregnant again. The question was, do we go back um, to do it? So uh, Grayson – um, 
was a complete surprise. I mean, like when mm. Stephanie told me, um, it was, I forget, I think she brought a birthday cake or something, and, and I didn't even catch <laughs> What she was, what she was saying at home that, that she that she was pregnant at the time. So, God is a uh, God's amazing, and um, he does he does great things. I don't know if I ever told you the story. This is a little bit of an aside, but but after we had our third, we um, upgraded to an Astro van. <laughs> okay, from 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 a little car because we were like, yeah, we probably need more space. Can't fit everybody in the. Camry in the back, or if we do, they're going to be all crammed together. And so we're like, okay, we'll get a Astro van. And I remember vividly pulling out of that, which it was a seven passenger uh, van, and thinking, Lord, thank you f- for the car, and um, mm-hmm. and you know, really wanted, really had hoped for five or six, but given the fact we were told we weren't going to have any, th- thank you so much for the for the three, and. Um, you know, at least this car will last for uh, for a while. Mm-hmm. You know, thinking one at a time. <laughs> it wasn't long after. It was, there, I don't know the the difference in age. It, I mean, he was less than a year when they were born. I mean, less than a year and a half when they were born or thereabouts. Less than two years for sure. So it was pretty soon after. Got pregnant and said, okay, cool. Still got the Astro van. Everything's great. And then found out we had triplets. And so that... It, that's eight, and that car only holds seven. So I remember when she was down at, uh, with the triplets at the hospital that we had to go, uh, we had to go, I had to go buy a Suburban <laughs> before, or by the time the triplets were born. So anyway, God's got a great sense of humor, and he, wow, his love is abundant, and um, to going from, we may not ever have one, to Thank you, Lord, for three. Wish we could have, you know, five or more, but, I, you know, grateful for what you did, kind of limiting him in my thought process. And then, and then he said, wait, hey, wait a second. All we got is one more pregnancy left. However, um, we're going to put you over the five that you asked for. So that all stemmed from the initial prayer, which I said in the middle of the living room when we were having such difficulty getting pregnant at all, where I, where I said... And I still uh, hold to it as knelt down, Stephanie being very sad about being um, maybe unable to have kids. Um, We had adoption books by our bed when that happened. Oh, wow. And uh, we had prayed. My prayer was, Lord, if you'll give us one, I'll take as many as you, we'll take as many as you send. And so anyway, he sent six. So uh, he's a God of abundance and... um, he provides. So I'm I'm just smirking here thinking about you uh you're you're preparing to have triplets, which you know is gonna be an additional demands on the on the budget. Oh yeah. And um then that means you also have to go buy a big new a, a big vehicle. Which a big, is gonna a be big, uh, yeah, no, that was it was uh, and at an expense. Just. It was an expense, like I said. You know, I I always for the, for the longest time. You know, I just quit. A, I just quit my job. This is another. You know, an aside. I I just quit my job and went to work for myself. When when Stephanie got pregnant with, at the time we thought it was number four, and I was like, oh, that would have been nice to have known, Lord. You know, <laughs> <laughs> in advance. Mm-hmm. And I remember being concerned about that. And then the triplets, and then it was it was one of those things where I think, you know, Stephanie says, you know, we remember vividly talking because the the, the doctor had told her you're measuring big, so let's see if you're if you might have multiples in there, um, but it could be that you just had four pregnancies so close together that's why you're measuring bigger. But let's look. So we started talking about twins. You know, I mean that's. That was it's a not, that's that was a natural thing. A natural thing. We were talking. Would, we were thinking think. about twins and twins, yeah. And I remember us saying, well, "We can okay, we can handle twins. We can do that. We can do yeah, that." Sure. And then and then you know all of a sudden there are three in there. That's exactly what the what the, what the doctor said. There are three in there. <laughs> and uh, and I remember that um, that Stephanie came home and said, you know. I knew, I knew I could handle twins. 
but it became very evident even long before that, wow, how are we going to handle triplets? And I think there's a, there's a part of of the faith journey that sometimes God will call you beyond what you think Mm -hmm. for exactly the purpose of number one, showing his abundance and his love, but also for the, for, um, the ability for you to just have to surrender because you're like, there's no way that this is, that this can happen. So anyway, six kids in six years um, is where we were. And we were, you know, very much um, involved in, in kind of thinking through this and wanting that and desiring that. And so, you know, I always figured if, if God was going to give us six, he'd, he'd uh, figure out a way to provide for us, even though there were plenty of times in my life, um, which some I've shared already that that wasn't the case, but anyway, uh, I've digressed as I usually do, but, um, but anyway, uh, so it's talking about the, this acceptance of a cycle of a woman and, um, that this dialogue that occurs when, when two are kind of really aware of their, of their participation in this attempt to God willing, um, transmit life between the two. He said that, you know, this it entered this dialogue means to recognize both the spiritual and corporal character of the conjugal communion and to live personal love with its requirement of fidelity. Um, I think what that that's pointing to is just this you have you have to trust that what God's plan is is the plan right I mean I think I've mentioned before my mom used to always say you know um start off with a plan and then when it doesn't work out the way you planned it hmm. uh pr- pretend like that was the plan in the first place <laughs> which there is some wisdom to that, mm-hmm. uh, th- but which I think is just really a, a, a an acceptance of what's happening. So um, anyway, uh, I think I'm, tr- I'm looking at the, at the end of this section. Um, it says in the context of the couple, in the context of this dialogue and this spiritual and corporal character, you know, this bodily character of this union between a husband and a wife. In this context, a couple comes to experience how conjugal communion is enriched with those values of tenderness and affection, which constitute the inner soul of human sexuality. And its physical dimension also is the same. In this way, sexuality is respected and promoted in its truly and fully human dimension and is never used as an object that by breaking the personal unity of body and soul strikes at God's creation itself at the level of the deepest interaction of nature and person. That's a really deep way to say that, that this experience of participating in the transmission of life is something that's meant to bring about a full understanding of the spiritual and the, the fact that they're coming into being, but the spiritual union between the two. And it can, it's never meant to be human sexuality is never meant to be something that extracts itself from that, that it's only about the unitive and not the procreative, or it's only about the procreative and not the unitive. I think, I think that you mentioned that that's becoming more of an issue now with, we mentioned last time with, with, you know, um, cloning or other, other means. Right. For a long time, it was the procreative being divorced from the unitive, but now it's just as much a worry about the unitive being divorced from the procreative. And because this is a spiritual thing. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, um, that's, that's on that section. The next section is on, uh, the, the titled the church's teacher and mother (laughs) for, for couples in difficulty. And so, um, as teacher, and this is important as teacher, she never tires of proclaiming the moral norm that must, must guide the responsible transmission of life. Um, and I think this is really important. It says the church is in no way the author or the arbiter of this norm. This is not an invention of the church. Remember, remember the church, and I've always told you that the church is, is meant to, the church is here to um, protect that which has been revealed, right? In other words, that God has revealed it and is meant to guard the um, deposit of faith and this understanding of the human person and what the, what the nature of the sacrament of marriage is, is um, 
is part of what he's revealed, not something that the church has made up. And so that's why it's something that can't, that can't be changed. And um, so let's see, I'm going to, I'm going to read this next section in the, in the obedient, in obedience to the truth, which is Christ, whose image is reflected in the nature and dignity of the human person. The church interprets the moral norm and proposes it to all people of goodwill without concealing its demands of radicalness and perfection. All right. So there's a few things in there. It proposes it, right? That's, that's the church. It's, it's saying, Hey, this is the way God has made things. It's proposing this to the world for free acceptance of Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And when proposing it, it does not wish to conceal the demands for radicalness and perfection, <laughs> which is exactly what comes, comes out. You know, when you end up with six under six or nine kids or how many ever, um, you realize how radical a call it is. You know, I mean. For sure. You know, you real, how many do you all have now? Six. Six. So you realize how radical it is, how radically different it is and what the, what the world. Get some strange looks. Right. You get some strange looks. It's radical, you know, because it's something different that's out there. And it calls for us to participate in it, not to run from it. And in the participation in it, it leads us by the help of the grace of the sacrament of marriage and the other graces, the Eucharist, um, confession, everything that the church gives us to this move towards perfection. And what does that mean? Well, perfection, if you look at perfection, is Christ. All right, Jesus is perfection. Mm-hmm. Total humility, totally dying to oneself for the sake of the other. I think I've told the story about Stephanie and the fact that, you know, the the woman who is so meticulous and everything's got a place and it's all got to be there, that when when she was told she would have to stay in bed for from January until and the doctor was like, you're never going to make it that far, but until about a month before they were born in, in May. So for four months to stay in that house, never getting out of bed other than to go the, to the restroom about 10 minutes, that she had to let go. She had to die to the fact that, hey, Trey's washing the clothes. And so, yeah, whites are supposed to go with whites and darks with darks, but, you know, Trey might end up with a pink sock here and there, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or or something worse. Or that the house is not as clean or, you know, when there's when there's stuff going on outside of her bedroom and she's like, what's that noise? Oh, don't worry about it, honey. <laughs> it's just Trevor throwing there's a ball across this. Nothing. nothing. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, that, that's, some, that's a call to that perfection, to that dying to oneself, to what you hold what you hold dear. Um, and so the church doesn't say it's not going to be demanding, doesn't say it's not going to be radical, but it does not shirk simply because it's harder than not going through that. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not going to shirk from that. And that in fact, in living that out, that we become transformed by the grace first, by what God gives us, but by the circumstances accept it as a yes. Mm-hmm. So that's from the teacher. From the teacher side. As a mother, the church is close to many married couples who find themselves in um, in difficulty over this important point of moral life. She knows well their situation, which is often very arduous and at times truly tormented by difficulties of every kind. Not only individual difficulties, but social ones as well. She knows that many couples encounter difficulties not only in the concrete fulfill- fulfillment of the moral norm, but even uh, understanding its inherent values, which is which the mother saying, "Hey, this is the truth, right? It's going to be difficult, it, you know, in lots of different ways. We understand that, but as a but as a mother, we want you to understand. And this is really this really points to the way as parents we're supposed to parent our kids." It's not just getting them to do the right thing or to avoid the wrong thing. It's getting them to understand why that's important to make it their own so that they can participate fully in it. And that's the beauty of what the church proposes is to say there's, this is not just some random um, set of rules you have to follow because I said so, but it's because this is what's going to bring about 
your holiness. This is what's going to bring about you becoming more the saint you were meant to be, right? And so we have to do a better job of not just saying, well, the church is against these things, but it's for, instead say it's for life and it's for life in the context of a merit of marital union for the sake of the kids, certainly, but also for the sake of the parents. That's part of that mystery of parenthood mm-hmm. is that you, you have this um, in living it out and recognizing it as a sacrament. So grace is there available for you you can let go of certain things that you thought you could never let go of. Um, For me, it was football games. You know, for me, it was being able to go hunting whenever I wanted or whatever. Wouldn't change that, but those are things that were just selfish on my part. I mean, that was it. And to have to let it go because of this. So anyway, as church, as, as teacher and mother, um, Again, you hear these words, you know, exhort and encourage um, and all to resolve whatever conjugal difficulties may arise without ever falsifying, falsifying or compromising the truth. She's convinced that there can be no true contradiction between divine law on the transmitting of life and that on fostering authentic married love. So what, he's, what, what what's there is there's a connection in marriage there's a connection between authentic married love, this love that is complete self-gift, this love that is dying to oneself for the sake of another, this beautiful thing that's, that is marriage. There's no contradiction between that and the transmission of life. You're not getting, if, you, if, you have, if you're able to have kids and maybe multiples or multiple children, that does not detract from Mary Love. I mean, if you think about it, I, I know there's a lot of people that may think, well, I mean, if you've got that many kids, then how can, how do you have time to love your wife? How do you have time to love all those kids? And don't you think you need to be more responsible, you know, with air quotes, right? Mm-hmm. And, in, in order to foster the relationship. And it's actually in the relationship. Steph used to always say, you know, used to always say, you don't, un, you don't know what your husband's capable of. You don't know who, wh- what he's like until, until you have circumstances that demand him to give up something <laughs> for your sake. And that oftentimes, not always, but, but in many cases, I mean, that could be a job. It could be whatever. But in this, in this context, it's, Hey, I'm going to get up in the middle of the night to feed the baby so you can sleep another hour or two. You know, those type of those type of things. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'll get this. I'll I'll get I can hear the baby crying. I'll I can get this. So I think that that's um I think that's really really important to to remember. Um and then he goes on to repeat. He says to diminish in no way the saving te- the church's he's repeating is to diminish in no way the saving teaching of Christ constitutes an eminent, an eminent form of charity for souls. Well, I mean, by definition, right? If you, if you, if you have a, if you add another child, you have another soul to care for, right? And that, that caring for souls for their salvation, um, for their upgrading, upbringing, all those type of things are things that, we're meant to do, but in doing that, we actually become more who we were created to be. And that's, that I think runs, don't you think it runs contrary to what you hear most of the time? I, I mean, do. I um, do. And so, um, anyway. Um, but let's not, let's not leave this section without saying it's hard. Yeah, no, it is hard. Nothing that we're talking about here is a cakewalk. Nothing is something that you can do without firm uh, purpose of of amendment, like you know we hear in the act of contrition. But you know you have to be deliberate about it. You have to be um, committed and constantly uh, renewing and deepening your your knowledge of what what Holy Mother Church as the teacher and mother 
right. is calling us to. Right. I think I think the line here that says there's no doubt, that this is kind of speaking to you, there's no doubt that these conditions, this, this way of looking at marriage and transmission of life and all that, that these conditions must include persistence, mm-hmm. patience, humility, strength of mind, mm-hmm. filial trust, kind of a son, sonly, a child, childlike trust in God and in his grace. And I think that's something we need to remember. I, I don't remember who was on this show, but I remember him talking about, and, and I forget to do this, um, calling upon the grace, like in your prayer, call upon the grace of the sacrament of marriage in order to handle this situation, which is part of our marriage. But to call upon the grace which mm-hmm. is that it, we're trusting in God, but we're also trusting that he's going to provide the graces that we need to actually be transformed in and through this. Yeah, he goes on to yeah. even say, uh, thus strengthened Christian husbands and wives will be able to keep alive their awareness of the unique influence that the grace of the sacrament of marriage has on every aspect of married life, including therefore their sexuality. The gift of the Spirit, accepted and responded to by husband and wife, helps them to live their human sexuality in accordance with God's plan and as a sign of the unitive and fruitful love of Christ for his church. Right. And that, and so that's the, that's the thing that we have to understand about grace. So any sacrament, grace is something that, that elevates our nature. It's something that actually has an impact on us to the extent that we're open to it and accepting of the circumstances he sends and trusting that he's going to provide what we need to get through those things, that this transmission of life is kind of just a concrete sign and the, and all the struggles that come along with that is a concrete sign of the totality of a marriage. Mm-hmm. I mean, saying it's not, we're not just, we're not, it's not like sexuality is over here in a box and then all the rest of what you do as a married couple is over here in another box. It kind of, signifies and actually brings about, right? It's an, there's an instrumentality to in a sense. And that's the way that, you know, sign and instrument is another term that's frequently used about a sacrament. It's a sign and it's an instrument, meaning it's something that actually causes what it signifies. So faithfully living it out helps us to be able to let go of things that have nothing to do with our sexuality, Right. I mean, it's kind of it, it goes together. There's not this disconnection. That's the beauty of what Christians for millennia have believed about the human person is it's it's all goes together. Yeah, it's not. It's this integral vision of a, of a person. So if we do it in one aspect that it's meant to overflow and helps us do it in other aspects. And again, yeah, I mean, he go down. To that point, he talks about um, this discipline, which is proper to the purity of married married couples, uh, confers on it a higher confers on it being conjugal love a higher human value. It demands continual effort. Yet, thanks to its beneficent influence, husband and wife fully develop their personalities, being enriched with spiritual values. Such discipline bestows upon family life fruits of serenity and peace and facilitates the solution of other problems. It favors attention for one's partner, helps both parties to drive out selfishness, the enemy of true love, and deepens their sense of responsibility. By its means, parents acquire the capacity of having a deeper and more efficacious influence in the education of their offspring. So he's talking, he's listing out there how it, the influence of, um, natural family planning, living that, Serious, seriously flows out into all these other aspects of, of the marriage and of the family. And I, and I think that's true in our experience. Right. And in, in my experience too, and there's this integral view of a person. That that's says, my truth, Trey. That's my right. truth. <laughs> well, I can go as far as saying it's the truth, but, but, but the beauty of it is, is exactly that, 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 that the reason the church proposes this is not just, it certainly flows from the, from the theology, right? That there's a, there's a theology behind it, but there's also a human, uh, the humanity behind it that says in living this out, you, you are put in a situation where you have to be less selfish because you're 
concerned about somebody else. I mean, you're not at, you're called to be less selfish. And with the grace that comes from the sacrament of matter, you you become less selfish. You realize you're kind of in this thing together with another person, right? And so you're being drawn more into communion with with each other, mm-hmm. signified in and through the act, but but it becomes part of what the marriage is about. That it, it's about doing that. I think it is so cool to 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 really kind of catch a glimpse of what what John Paul's saying here that the church is always taught and why it's a sacrament that it that it helps us become more Christ like if we're and it helps us become more church like. It helps us become a mother and a teacher. It helps us become um, the person who by free choice lays down their life for the sake of the other. Yeah. And I, th- I just think that is, I think that's and so I, beautiful. I think if we can move in, as we move into this next um, section, the moral progress of married people, I want to move down to a few paragraphs within section or subsection 34 on the okay. end of page 27. Um, and he writes, but man who has been called to live God's wise and loving design in a responsible manner is an historical being who day by day builds himself up through his many free decisions. And so he knows, loves, and accomplishes moral good by stages of growth. And I think that's a really fascinating point because the non-Christian sexualized Secular. I was intending to say secular, but it's right. turned into sexualized. But they're actually very intermingled right. in the in the post-Christian world that we live in. Um, but it, it basically takes the attitude, I would say, of do things that satisfy you in the here and now, and that do what you desire in the here and now without telling you that the long-term outcome is going to be probably more negative than positive for you if you live according to that morality. Whereas the church's teaching on moral action would say sacrifice in the here and now in, in the moment, live for the other, right? Right. Because love is a, is wanting the good of the other. Um, and tells you that by doing that, the long-term benefit is going to be a net positive for you. So net positive that you're going to have eternal life in, in heaven right. with God. But on the temporal realm, you're going to, in the long run, you're going to lead and live a more happy, stable, um, joyful, joyful existence. Which again runs contrary to what, what what I think most people think that the more one sacrifices, the more one gives up themselves, the less happy they're going to be. Right. But we're made by maybe think of um, a father. Um, Know it all, <laughs> Father Simon. Simon and his and his his connection between saying from the from the talk he gave at the benefit the dinner, dinner yeah. that he I, and I don't remember exactly, but he was saying if you really look at the words that love equals sacrifice. Yeah, what I love about it is just him telling you put sacrifice in place of love whenever you read right the scriptures, and you're going to have a fuller sense and a fuller understanding of what what love means in that in that uh, gospel context. Yeah. And I, and or I mean, scriptural context. and I think that's something, again, this idea of sacrifice and said, well, what's in it for me or how, what am I going to get out of it? Whatever. What, what the church says is the more you put in, it's, it's not a whole lot different than what it says about going to mass. It's the more you divest yourself, the more you give yourself away. You know, if you, I mean, didn't Jesus say, you know, if you, save your life, you're going to lose it. If you yep. lose your life, you're, you're going to save, save it. it. And, and that, that in and through the marital union in and through family and what all that, what all that entails, the extent to which we give ourselves away, we end up finding more joy mm-hmm. instead of less. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's 
I'm not sure it's counterintuitive, not from a Christian perspective, but I think from just a purely human, secular view of things, it's counterintuitive that the more I pour out, the more I give. And I think that's important. I had a conversation the other day. I said, it's, you know, what can you give to this situation? How can you pour yourself more into this situation instead mm-hmm. of saying, I'm just going to try to get through it? Mm-hmm. But it's, it's also counterintuitive to the very specific subject that the Holy Father is talking about here of the conjugal life of the married couple that you've probably heard many people say, and I, and I can say from experience too, but also having people, other people, other couples confirm it, the periodic abstinence right. actually keeps the conjugal life fresh and exciting and, and you stay more rooted and closer to that cup to that kind of a couple that you were when you first met in pursuing one another in in desiring right. one another wanting to wanting to flirt wanting to do a little little special things people talk about that being an aspect of their their married life right and i think it's it's from it's again the way god has designed the body he especially of the woman that that he has made it such that there's times when it's it's a walk in the park and holding hands or cuddling, watching a movie or something, and not not it's not always that the only intimacy mm-hmm. is sexual intimacy, mm-hmm. and that's I, I think beautiful. So again, it's like you said, it's counterintuitive. It's um, anyway. So uh, I think you brought uh, that. We're moving into that section thirty four. Um, yeah, so I think I think he, he talks about this binding love. This is just before you said God Himself, God Himself, in and through this teaching, inspires, sustains, and guides every creature towards its happiness. Yeah, and again, that's what I think is the cool thing about this. And that's always said, like G, um, uh, John Paul II's theology of the body is specific to often taken as being specific to human sexuality, but it goes beyond that, this, this idea. uh, And that's why I think that this teaching is so kind of at the heart of what it means to be human. If we're, if we get married and we understand what the teaching is and we give ourselves to that teaching in the way that we act, that the rest of our life is going to begin, it's going to kind of overflow into the rest of our life and that we see that to sacrifice to not always get what we want because what we want may not be the best for the person that we love. And so is not like a loss. It's not like a tick column that you said, well, you know, I gave this up. Now you got to give something else up. It actually in giving we receive, um, I guess that's the prayer of a St. Francis. So, yeah. Um, anyway, so further down on in 34, um, so accordingly, the, f- the function of transmitting life must be integrated into the overall mission of Christian life as a whole. So that's that integrated whole, which without the cross cannot reach the resurrection. I always love, I always, uh, I've looked back at my life at different things have nothing to do with, with this, with this specific topic, but I've always told people because I've seen it. We always believe for every cross, for every Good Friday, there's always going to be a resurrection Sunday. That that's the that's the hope that we have in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our struggles. And so it it teaches us that. And so it goes further and says in such a context it's understandable that sacrifice cannot be removed from family life. It must, in fact, wholeheartedly be accepted if the love between a husband and wife is to be deepened and become a source of intimate joy. Again, (laughs) I just think it's so counterintuitive, I don't know a better word to say, from what we hear in this world, right? Um, I mean, and that goes for sports. It goes for everything. The more we're willing to lay down our lives for the set, to lay down what we want, for the sake of the bigger picture is to be more like Christ. So, you know, I, I've 
like I said, one of my favorite stories with Kennedy was when he wasn't playing as much. He, I, I, that's what I appreciate so much about. Him. He wasn't playing as much when he was a senior, and but he was giving himself away to the people that were playing in front of them, encouraging them, chastising them sometimes, like get over it. You know, I'd give anything to just be on the field, and you're griping about the fact you only got the ball thrown to you two times. Mm-hmm. You know, but he didn't see it as okay. That guy's head. What he saw was his role in in on that team was to encourage those people. Accept where he was, and important. That's and that's sacrifice. Yeah, that's love. Yeah, this this is a di- digression, but a, a sports digression. Um, my junior year in high school football, um, kid in in the class ahead of me, senior, um, running back. Uh, his his senior season got moved to the dreaded position of. Fullback. You don't hear a oh, fullback yeah, no, a lot of time yeah, anymore. No. What's the fullback's primary job? The block. block for the person for, for the, the position po- that you want to be playing. That you want to be playing exactly <laughs> you, for for the for the running back exactly. And I'll never I'll never forget um, this kid. Uh, we'll call him John. Um, he not only did that job of fullback, he grew and came to love. Right. Playing fullback, he embraced that yeah. position, yeah. and and did a great job. I mean, did an absolute. I think he ended up being an honorable mention, all league kid at that at that position. Right, and I yeah. That's that's talk that, about laying it down. That that is laying it down. And I remember my I would get upset when one of my other sons who was who eventually was starting tailback had been the tailback and then got moved to to that. I would I got personally bothered by that. <laughs> But 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 my son was like, Dad, I'll do whatever I whatever needs to happen here, right? And which, you know, but I think you're better than you know. So I mean that, and and the reality is, you have to kind of, again. I think you're better than that. That's a temptation for him to begin being selfish. I deserve. Mm-hmm. I should look. Why my not dad me? Says why not me? And he never did that. Yep. So even as a dad, I failed him. <laughs> And it well, I mean, I just didn't. I, I instead of just saying, "Man, you're really being, you're being Christ on on the team by saying I'll accept right. not getting the ball twenty times a game, and I might only get it four. Right. Um, but if I can block somebody that breaks the guy for a touchdown, then I'm fine. That's with my that. touchdown that's, too. Yeah, exactly. And so, anyway, I think that that's that's really cool. But there is a connection between this teaching and as parents, the way we teach our children that says the, hopefully the way you're living out your marriage and your sexuality is actually going to overflow into a, a deeper understanding of what you are trying to teach your kid way before you hope they're engaged in, in any sexual, but way before they get married mm-hmm. in their day to day, because that is all the truth about what Christ revealed about what it means to be human, and I just I think it's cool. Um, any four uh, minutes, buddy? Oh, is it really? Okay. <laughs> well, uh, um, I'll, I'll go here. I thought it was you know uh, talking about how they'll, they'll be able to, to to assist married people in their human and spiritual progress, a progress that demands. And it says we have to be aware of sin. We have a have to have a sincere commitment to observe the moral law and the ministry of reconciliation, this bringing back together of people who have offended each other. It also must be kept in mind that conjugal intimacy involves the wills of two persons who, who are, however, called to harmonize their mentality and behavior. You hear that, that idea of unity becoming one mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and this requires patience, understanding, and time, mm-hmm. so it's not it's not like you flip a switch and everything's fine. It's it's it comes with practice and giving yourself over to this teaching, in and through that. And so, anyway, again, in talking about this, and you know, we can be in. I mean, we're gonna have to wrap it up now anyway. But in talking about this, it extends beyond the specifics of the marital union. With regard to the the act that signifies it, right, right, this this one flesh union, it extends 
to the way we teach our children. It extends to the way we act in other circumstances. It extends to the answer to the problem of when I, when I feel left out or when I, when I feel, you know, how can you give yourself to that? What, what can you bring to that equation? What can you give away of yourself for the sake of the, the benefit of the whole and see that that's sometimes the way, you know, I must decrease. I mean, right. That's what, jo- that's what John the Baptist said. I must decrease. Christ must increase. Right. And that's so, again, that is the Christian way of doing it. And so when, when we get married, we're, we're just know we're on this lifelong process of, struggles and failures and selfishness and it's all to the extent that we accept it recognize when we're selfish and sinful and go to go to confession ask for forgiveness all those type of things that that brings us closer and closer together so anyway um and it and it provides kind of the underpinnings of the way you're going to raise your children in certain circumstances and again, that that's nice because then you can explain when it's time to talk more about that. You've already hey, this is no different than what we've been telling you all along back in baseball, right? Mm-hmm. You're 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 part of this group and you're giving yourself away for the sake of the other. So how much time we got left? Just about a minute and thirty seconds. A minute and thirty seconds. So I don't know. I think that I think that's really a a uh, cool. Any last uh, little piece from that section that you wanted to? Say anything about, um, or should we just tell people that we'll we'll pick this back up in the new year? So I just think this gets back to to the, to them. Paul the sixth, Saint Paul the sixth wrote uh, to them, the married couple. The Lord entrusts the task of making visible to people the holiness and sweetness of the law, which unites the mutual love in husband and wife with their cooperation with the love of God, the Author of human life. I guess what I'm saying that gets us back to the sacramental sign that they were meant with our bodies to make him visible. And so always remember only God can take the mystery out of parenthood. Pray, parent with a purpose and prepare for God to amaze you. He is. If you just give him a chance, God bless. Bye.